Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. I've met many audiobook professionals and avid listeners on my journey as an audiobook narrator, and I'm looking forward to introducing them to you. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and enjoy a friendly chat about audiobooks and audiobook production. Joining me tonight in the speakeasy is someone who has been involved in hundreds of audiobook productions wearing many different hats. I was thrilled when I found out that someone who works for an audiobook publishing powerhouse lives right here in my hometown, Tucson, Arizona. Since the last time I checked, Tucson is not generally considered the audiobook capital of the world, and had the pleasure of meeting him in person this past summer. Philip Miller, pre-production and casting director at Dion Audio, thanks for joining me here in the audiobook speakeasy tonight. Hi, Rich. Yeah, great to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Sure, yeah, yeah, glad to be able to, and it's and I just love the fact that there is somebody else in the world of audiobooks who lives here in Tucson. There, there's uh, prob- probably another narrator out here, too, somewhere, maybe two, but uh, we just don't run into each other too often. So <laughs> yeah. what are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, I'm a pretty plain person and was pretty low on supplies in my house, so I'm just drinking a vodka tonic, actually. Vodka tonic, uh, it's a classic. Yeah, classic. yeah, yeah. Very nice cool. Plain. <laughs> in honor of uh, in honor of speaking with somebody, even though this is Skype, unfortunately, my studio is just not set up to have two people for an interview. I would have loved to have done it in person, but I'm not set up that way. But, but yeah. since you are here locally in Tucson, my drink for this evening is uh, clear American single malt whiskey made right here in Tucson by Hamilton Distillers. This is their Whiskey Delbat Clear, which is... Uh, smoky as anything you just you feel like you're drinking a campfire nice nice yeah, local too yeah. it is yeah i love drinking local they're uh, they're right up by grant and i-10 so cheers cheers uh maybe for round two we can meet up in person you know yeah yeah definitely um i'm not sure if they have this where we were last time at uh, the batch cafe but there are a lot of places hamilton distillers is doing a great job of getting out to the local restaurants and they do tastings and they do um uh, special cocktails, uh, nights when you can go and meet the people who work at the distillery. They're, they've got a great marketing team because they're they're definitely getting to the restaurants around here. Awesome. I've never tried it, but I'll be on the lookout from now. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's uh, it's American single malt, and the, both the clear and their uh, smoked whiskey is mesquite smoked. So uh, it's not the kind of smoke that you get from a peaty, peaty scotch, but uh, but it's very smoky, and I love this stuff. Nice. Nice. So you're living here in Tucson now. Where are you from originally? Uh, I'm actually born and raised here in Tucson. Um, I lived here up until about, until I was like 18 and uh, went to college uh, at a place called Kenyon in Ohio. Oh, you went far from, far from the university town that you grew up in. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I really, I mean, I I guess I had a lot of reasons, but uh, uh, I really like the idea of just being able to get a, get away from the hometown for a little while. I, I kind of feel like I love Tucson. It's you know no joke at all. One of my favorite cities I've ever visited or lived in, and uh, <clears throat> I think I would feel differently had I never left. But having left and come back after a couple of years made a big difference, and I really appreciate it for what it is. Well, that's great. That's great. I know that uh, my wife and I moved here about five years ago, and we love it. We think it's a great town. It's it's like a big city with a small town feel. Yeah, exactly. I highly recommend like, everyone, if they've never been here, they have a very different view of what it's like here, I think. Yep. And I encourage everyone to come visit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the months of June or September, but um, <laughs> yeah, 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 but uh, <laughs> but I, I love it the rest of the year, whether it's the monsoon or um, yeah, the, the mm. scenery around here. I, I live up by the foothills. It's a great place. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up here, you went away to college and uh, what'd you study? Uh, well, in college, I actually studied, uh, they called it the classics. So it was ancient Greek and Latin. Um, I've gone to be an English major, actually. <laughs> but um, I met some really cool professors, and they sort of changed my view on some things. And sort of one thing led to another. And the next thing I knew, I was studying ancient Greek. So That's great. So, <laughs> so if I remember correctly, you actually sort of speak Latin. Um, I mean, I certainly would not be able to form sentences on the fly or anything like that. Right. Maybe um, I should say read instead of speak. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, you know, if you, if you put a Latin text in front of me and I had a dictionary, I could get through it. Yeah. 
Um, that's very a little cool. rusty. That's, that, that's very cool. It's a, uh, it's definitely not a skill that a lot of people have. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, when I graduated, there were just tons of job offers lining up and everything. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I get to practice it every day too. If you know, but, uh, I'm looking for those Latin speakers, <laughs> where are they? <laughs> but I mean, to be completely honest, I've never regretted a moment of it. I love studying that stuff and just, you know, ancient history and philosophy and literature, that's really my uh, cup of tea. <laughs> that's so, great. That's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So then from there, you did you come back to Tucson or did you go someplace else after college? Uh, uh, after college, I ended up coming back to Tucson for about a year. And um, as I mentioned, you know, batting away the job offers. So um, I, you know, my whole life I've been a musician and uh, into sort of recording myself at home, recording my friends. And then when I had bands, I would record that. So I started um, looking into you know, engineering schools and things of that nature and found a really awesome place in Phoenix uh, called the Conservatory, Recording Arts and Sciences. Oh. Um, a lot of engineers from there, actually, that I've met. And uh, I went there um, and studied to become you know, a professional engineer, after which I moved to L.A., because uh, that's where there's lots of cool studios. Oh, yeah. And eventually, that's how I found my way to uh, Dion Audio. And cool. So what's your primary instrument? Or are you a vocalist? Uh, well, I loved guitar my whole life. You know, I, I've always wanted to play guitar. So I mainly play guitar. But I also, you know, I play bass. Uh, I can play a little bit of keys. And then, you know, a bunch of just <laughs> the modern digital gadgetry. That you yeah. can put <laughs> Musicianship is a lot different now than it was 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, for good and, and for bad. But it's great that anybody with a laptop can write a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you prefer uh, electric or acoustic? Um, so... I guess if I had to choose, I, I'm an electric person. Uh, I've got nothing against acoustic guitars, um, love any type of guitar, but I love rock and roll. Mm -hmm. My favorite bands are Oasis and The Strokes, and I love Britpop. So I just love that big guitar sound. Yeah. It's just really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So you did a lot of recording of your own stuff and recording when you were in bands? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been in different bands with my friends for most of my life. And um, I was in a band while I was living in LA. Uh, it was called In The Stars. Uh, and that was awesome. Got to play a lot of live shows around, you know, big city like LA, which is always a great experience. Yeah, plenty, uh, of, plenty of places. And, uh, you know, I, I also love, you know, working with other musicians, collaborating on stuff, even if it's not a, a full-on band, just, mm -hmm. you know, one songs here, here and there. And uh, I love encouraging new people to record music because, like, to me, the, the the catalyst, the moment of, like, having dreamed about writing and recording songs your whole life and then one day sitting in a car and listening to, like, a cassette tape that you recorded in your garage or something, <laughs> it makes all the difference in the world. Motivation. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Great, great feeling. Rewarding. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So you went to L.A., you were in bands, and uh, then you found Dion Audio. Indeed. I, uh, <clears throat> I was uh, interning at studios. I, I interned at um, a mastering studio um, with a really great engineer named Howie Weinberg. He's worked on basically every album ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, he, he, he was an awesome guy. I uh, really enjoyed my time there, but I was an intern. Uh, and eventually needed to pay my rent. <laughs> uh, so I started looking for a real job. And I was very fortunate. Um, uh, someone recommended I come check out this company called Dion Audio, and they were based in the Valley. So I, you know, went and I met Deb, and <laughs> for lack of a better cliche, you know, the rest is history. Uh, I've been there ever since. <laughs> so I'd kind of forgotten about the fact when you said that you, that you moved to L.A. L.A. is a big place, and I know where the Valley is because I grew up in um, South L.A. Well, Southeast uh, Whittier. Um, but LA is a big place. So were you in the Valley or were, was that kind of a, Oh, I got to figure out where to move now. Cause I can't handle this commute. Well, it's funny because, you know, I had been to LA prior to moving here, maybe once as a kid, you know, obviously I knew it was a huge city, but when I was first moving out, you know, I figured, you know, 
wherever I could find a place to stay to get started, that would be fine. And even if it was a little far of a drive, it couldn't be that bad. So <laughs> I ended up, my first place was in uh, Long Beach. And Ooh, that's a ways <laughs> to the valley. <laughs> oh yeah. No. And I was trying to intern at a studio that was in North Hollywood and Laurel Canyon area. Mm -hmm. So one day I, I found out that my commute took almost three hours when I didn't leave at the right time. Yikes. <laughs> And so I knew I needed to move immediately. And eventually I ended up um, living in Van Nuys, which um, oh, that's good. I wouldn't say, wouldn't say it's my favorite place in the world, but it was certainly a lot closer to work. Yeah, so. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So what did you start doing when you started at Dion? What was what was the first job there? Um, my uh, first thing, I guess the first thing that I was hired on as was uh, to be an editor um, because it's obviously the most time intensive other than recording mm -hmm. uh, part of the engineering process and so you know a company needs a lot of editors so I had originally started uh working as a, a home editor for Dion Audio and uh this is actually a I believe this would be 2012 so I kind of think of this as like a big in retrospect a big year for the audiobook industry in general yeah because, it was really taken off then yeah audible was just really getting uh, gaining steam and Amazon was on a big miss mission to turn pretty much every book they had into audio. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were part of that process and that was a lot of fun. So we were really busy that first year, just producing hundreds, I want to say, you know, hundreds of books just for audible and probably over a thousand for all of our clients combined. So it was, you know, nonstop audio books <laughs> those first year or two that I was with the company, I could easily, you know, wake up at like nine in the morning and not stop working until 10, 11 at night. So, wow. Yeah. So I think that that was right after, um, Amazon introduced ACX as well. It seems to me that was 2011, but that was before I was aware of them. So I, I'm not positive on that date, but that was definitely a big time. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, I don't know exactly when ACX was founded or really became a thing. I, I feel like, um, actually after the couple of years of, of Audible realizing like what an investment it was to, you know, financially to create all these audiobooks, they started exploring and really pursuing, um, ideas like ACX and, and that's when it really exploded. Yeah. Well, cool. So, um, so you were in LA, but I know that when we, uh, when we met downtown a few months ago, you were talking about moving here from someplace that was not LA. Ah, uh, yes. So, um, prior to moving back to Tucson, but after leaving LA, I had initially moved to Seattle. Um, and I'd actually, you know, I'd visited Seattle. I had some friends that lived there and, um, I loved Seattle because it was, in my mind, the total opposite of L.A., you know. <laughs> um, it, uh, it certainly is a big city, but it's, you know, <laughs> rain instead of sunshine, and it's very, mm, I mean, I don't know what's the word for it, like nature. There's a lot more nature than there oh, is there in is, L.A. Oh, there is, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've spent quite a bit of time, well, not a lot, but I've spent some time up in the Pacific Northwest, and um, it's... It, the the whole hiking, biking, getting outside and doing stuff, um, that really factors in there. I know that uh, most of the people who I know that are in that area spend a lot of time outside. Yeah, it's uh, one of the, well, definitely the greenest state I've ever seen, Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm not one, I don't really mind the rain since I was <laughs> didn't have it much growing up in Tusa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hear that. So, you know, I, it was a great experience. Eventually I chose to move away though, because, um, while Seattle wasn't L as big or as bad as LA yet, it still was a big city and I hadn't expected it to be so similar in that regard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was still expensive. Traffic was still kind of bad, unfortunately, and, you know, if you talk to anyone who was born and raised in Seattle, they basically, uh, and apologies if I offend any Seattleites listening, but it's, you know, rightly so, they don't want more people moving to their city and yep. taking up all that space. So, um, you know, as I said before, Tucson, I, I've always loved Tucson and I loved it even more since moving back. So that just seemed like the natural place to go. 
So, so the whole time, so you moved up to Seattle, but you were still working for Dion at the time? Correct. Um, so at Dion Audio, after uh, I had been an editor for a little while, um, I started actually as, a, as an editor who worked from home. Um, you know, they send you the audio files, you edit them and you send them back. And, um, as we got busier, you know, more, more roles were needed, more people were needed to do other roles. And I started to become a, uh, well, I started directing more sessions in addition to editing and doing sort of administrative work here and there. And, um, directing, uh, it's actually probably one of my, one of my, I don't want to say my, one of the most exciting parts, I think, because I feel like that's where you're really shaping the story, you know, to use sure. that, like, you're like playing with the fire there, you're, you're in the forge, mm-hmm. you can really, you can really go any direction from there, and then everything that happens after the recording, it's always, you know, if you need to fix or change things, no matter how tiny or how simple, it's always a big ordeal, so, right. uh, you know, obviously, as they say, you want to get everything right during the recording, and so, having that experience as a director and an editor, um, I, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, I, I am an engineer first and foremost. So I wanted to get more into the technical aspect of the, the process. So I became a mastering engineer and I was a mastering engineer for, for several years after that. But, um, when it became apparent that, uh, I wasn't going to be staying in LA for, for forever, um, it happened to coincide with a time when there was some, a lot of administrative work in the company that needed doing. And um, as I said, uh, I work in the pre-production and casting now. So it was just kind of a natural fit that I, I volunteered and, and that sort of fell into that job. And that is a job that since it's more uh, coordinating and scheduling and contacting people to do various things, I was able to do remotely, luckily. And so, yeah. Yeah, so the so I'm really interested in the directing part. So you did that for a little while, and and you really enjoyed it. But that was was that always on site, or does um, does Dion ever do remote recording with a director, like over Skype or headphones or whatever? Um, yeah. So the majority of what I did uh, and what we do in general is directing in in our in house studios. Uh, we currently have nine. But um, we definitely have had many opportunities. Um, if a studio or is, is based in L.A., you know, sometimes our directors go off site and work there. Mm. Uh, we definitely have um, sc- uh, directed over Skype or Source Connect or, or any of the other various types of, uh, again, technology that they use these days. Sure. Uh, obviously, like it's kind of it's not nearly as fun to direct over Skype, I think, because it's kind of like talking on the phone or something. Yeah. And, um, Everything's a little, <laughs> a little less connected. Yeah. You feel, you feel a little bit more distant. You don't necessarily have that immediate connection with the actor. You can't see each other. You can't joke around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can, but obviously it all gets recorded. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then some poor editor has to go take it out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although sometimes there've been some good jokes left in sometimes getting edited out. But, <laughs> But I uh, know, um, you know, but sometimes that's just how it works and no problem directing over Skype and, and <laughs> to their credit, Skype has gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. I feel like, Oh uh, yeah. 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 It's not as like glitchy or choppy, which is always very annoying. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So you moved up to Seattle and, uh, and you started doing more casting and uh, administrative type stuff. Yeah. I felt that, um, you know, having edited, directed, and mastered, so like I would say those are the three key um, steps in the production process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I obviously met tons of narrators that way. I worked with tons of narrators. I got a good feel for narrators who were good at certain things or, you know, just awesome narrators in general. Mm-hmm. So I feel that, you know, one of the one of the hardest parts of casting and working in pre-production is just that there's so many narrators out there. Um, you could easily spend a lifetime just researching them all and f- figuring out what they're good at. So you definitely, it helps to have that kind of background of having met these people and worked with them prior to, to get a good grip of, I don't know what they should work on it, could work on it in the future. Yeah, no doubt. I, I wonder that sometimes about Dion, because I know that Dion has a, a really big roster. There are a lot of people there. And um, 
it it just seems like it's it's kind of an impossible task to say, well, here I've got this science fiction book. Hmm, who should I select for this? And and so I'm sure that getting to work with them is um, it, it makes it easier for the casting because then you kind of know what to expect from people. But it still seems like an awfully big list. Is there anything that that you do in particular? I mean, do you have a enormous spreadsheet where you put down characteristics of how people do their reads or anything like that? Um, yeah. So, I mean, several things that we do, but, um, in general, I'm a very OCD person. So I have multiple, uh, spreadsheets. I, I don't know if, if you're familiar with a software called Trello, but the pre-production. I, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I mean, <laughs> uh, not to promote that, but I love that software. I use it for pretty much everything I do, both work and personal. Um, but to get back to the question, um, you know, we have our casting website and we, you know, we have bios and we send out questionnaires when we first uh, meet an actor or add them to our website, um, asking like general questions about, you know, what accents can you do? What, do you, what type of genres do you like to do? Do you have a home studio? Basic things like that. And mm-hmm. so we have all that information saved and easily referenceable. But I also keep like um, my own spreadsheet. And, you know, we always encourage actors, you know, if they haven't heard from us for a couple months or however long it's been, um, you know, feel free to send us an email, drop us a line just saying, you know, you know, what's happening in your career now or any any cool things that you've done recently. Yeah, just check in. Yeah, just to check in. And and anytime someone contacts me with something like that, you know, I add them to my uh, spreadsheet and I, you know, I keep pretty detailed notes of what they've told me. And, um, you know, usually I will look through that. Obviously, every book is different. Oftentimes, like a casting that we'll get is is, you know, despite all the actors we have, it's so specific. We still need to, like, dig around a bit to find the right person. Uh, You know, like super young person needs to be able to narrate in like a Jamaican accent. But there's also all these different nationalities because the book takes place at a hotel. So you got these different things. So there's really any <laughs> any number of things that that a certain book could demand. So I basically try and keep track of, I guess, <laughs> any information that a narrator tells me, uh, because you never know, like they might just offhandedly mention liking a certain song or they have a favorite movie <clears throat> or favorite author. And, uh, you know, someday down the line that could come up and, and be uh, a reason that they get cast for something. So uh, I encourage anyone who contacts me about casting, like just because you haven't heard from us in a few weeks or even a few months or however long it's been, doesn't mean that we've forgotten about you or anything like that. Just casting can be a fickle business. Oh, and, yeah very specific voices that are being looked for sometimes it's not always within our control you know these days we often get asked to provide options you know run auditions for books Mm -hmm. and um, contact narrators sort of provide a preliminary set of choices but ultimately a lot of the times the final choice is made by the author or the author's team and the the publisher yeah that sounds a lot like a lot of VO work I mean You'll have mm-hmm. a casting director who it's not that they're making the final decision. I mean, sometimes they do, but they, they won't necessarily make the final decision. But, um, you know, they have a, a short list and, and then the client makes the final call. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of that happening. Um, and, you know, obviously anyone that we have a good experience with once we've worked with them, that's that's obviously the best thing that a person can do is just be easy to work with and pleasant. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be surprised. Like, I don't understand anyone who, who doesn't follow that advice. (laughs) (laughs) Does seem a little counterproductive to be difficult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, well, that's good. So, um, so you're living here in Tucson now. Do you have any kids or I'm, I'm wondering if you're doing everything at home. I know that a lot of narrators have, have trouble with, Oh, got kids to deal with and we have noise inside the house and no, you got to be quiet for the booth. But if you're not narrating, I don't imagine that's quite as important, but what's the, what's the home situation like in terms of working at home all the time? Uh, well, um, I don't have any kids yet. Uh, I do live with my girlfriend. Her name is Misty. Uh, she's a lovely person, <laughs> uh, but I'm biased. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, um, you're right. 
you know, if, if there had been, you know, if there were noise, it's not as big an issue to me because I'm not necessarily recording. You know, sometimes I'll be editing or working on, on auditions or something, in which case, uh, you know, but I have my headphones on, so it doesn't really factor in. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will say that, like, uh, the amount of coordinating and emails that, you know, need to go out on any given day do keep me pretty tethered to my computer for the full birthday. <laughs> and there, there are times where I, I have to think to myself, well, when was the last time I left the house? Like, <laughs> so I know, I, try, I know a lot of narrators feel that way about leaving the booth sometimes. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's even worse then because you're stuck not only in a house, but just in a tiny room. It's a little box. <laughs> so yeah, I totally, I totally sympathize with that. And, uh, you know, I try and make sure I go out for at least one walk a day now to keep my sanity. That's good. Get a little exercise in. So you, yeah. you've worked with so many narrators. Have you ever thought about or tried narrating yourself? <clears throat> um, obviously the thought has crossed my mind. Um, I, I've always, I don't know, I've never really made a conscious decision that that's something I, I want to try and do, but I have, you know, uh, I think I've mentioned to the, this to you previously, but I'm a big one of my pet passions is like pirates and the history of pirates specifically. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so at one one time years ago, we got like a pirate pirate Christmas story or something like that. <laughs> and you know, we were looking for people to audition. So I, I did audition for that role under a pseudonym. That's <laughs> uh, gave awesome. My, gave my pirate uh, accent a shot. <laughs> But but if I'm being totally honest, I have major respect for all professional narrators and people who are excellent at this because just from working at with with them, um, directing, editing, you know, I will be the first to say this is not an easy thing to do, and it is not something someone should just be like, oh, I could do that. I, can, I have a good voice or whatever. <laughs> um, I'm gonna you know. go get a twenty nine dollar microphone <laughs> from Best Buy. I'm set. Exactly. You know, and I see it every day with. Uh, you know, new narrators they know, but sometimes you'll get like an author who wants to read their book or a, mm. you know, a celebrity of some sort, and they'll come in and you're know, not not in any way disrespectful or anything, but they'll just assume that like how hard can it be to read a book? Yep. <laughs> and then you know they come out of the booth six hours later, you know, sweat pouring down their head, and like, <laughs> that is probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do professionally. <laughs> That's an education. So um, I have no misguided beliefs about that. I don't know that I would be able to sustain, you know, an eight hour story if I was the narrator, but I'm definitely, you know, played with the idea. thought it'd be interesting more than once. Well, I'm sure since it's a, a passion of yours, being able to do that with the pirate accent would probably at least make it fun. <laughs> oh yeah. I had a lot of fun with that one. I, I don't actually think that that <clears throat> audition got submitted, you know? Yeah. It's not like, I want to make sure that more professional, obviously. Um, but you know, just for my own personal enjoyment, it was you got to try time. it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's very cool. So when you are casting something, um, what are your, what are your primary considerations? I mean, you get a project in and it gets sent to you and, and you have to look at it and you know, all these narrators. So, um, is there anything that someone who is already on your roster can do to sort of give themselves a leg up? Just asking for a friend. Well, um, so, you know, as I previously mentioned, a lot of the time, it's just a matter of what books are we getting at any given time. You know, if we get five books in a row that all require like an older British male narrator, then obviously there's nothing female narrators can do to sort of. (laughs) Right, right. But in general, um, like I said, you know, dropping us, you know, specifically contacting me or the pre-production party uh, department every couple of weeks or months, you know, keeps us fresh in, uh, keeps you fresh in our minds and also keeps us aware of what type of books you're currently working on. And, you know, eventually over time we would maybe see a pattern or who knows, mm-hmm. but, um, <clears throat> keeping in touch, keeping us fresh in your mind. Mu- uh, I can't get my pronouns right. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> better than I do. Being good at narrating is a good way to go to. Must <laughs> but, uh, be the vodka tonic. I've barely taken a few sips. <laughs> Get to work on that then. <laughs> but uh, more generally, um, 
we definitely this this might sound odd, but because um, especially the pre-production department, because we spend so much time emailing people, contacting people, trying to schedule them, you know, people who actually read their emails and reply promptly and with the correct information, you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. And those people, uh, people who are, again, easy to work with and make our job easier, you know, so we don't have to send like 50 emails trying to get one piece of information. Mm -hmm. We definitely remember things like that and little, little just soft skills like that. Again, being pleasant, being reliable, always doing what you say you're going to do. Those go make a huge difference. And we definitely remember people who who are like that. It's funny. It's, it sounds like such a basic thing. And yet that's this is not the first time I've heard this, um, both about actually reading the email and, and replying appropriately, but also just about general, courteous, you know, being a professional um, stuff like that. There was something in, an, in another, another group that I'm in about, uh, somebody who had sent out several, um, uh, casting calls for various different people to, to apply. And he said, it's, it's really kind of disheartening to see how many people didn't see that it was supposed to be these specs for the MP3. And they didn't see that it was men only. And they didn't see all, all these other things about what they were looking for. And they submitted something anyway, or, or they'll submit a, a basic demo instead of an audition of the actual script. So, uh, always a good reminder, read the emails, yeah. <laughs> know what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, oh yeah. Especially if, you're auditioning to be a professional reader. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of a nexus there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to harp on such a simple thing, but that definitely goes a long way and makes a big difference in, in, in being memorable in our minds. Um, obviously, as I said before that, though, being um, skilled at your craft, taking the time to show that you you know, you're practicing or you're, you're, you're working, you're going to classes or uh, talking to coaches or anything that you're doing to show that, you know, you're, you care about your career and you're, you're trying to be the best that you can be. Things like that also get noticed. Um, and you know, there, there are plenty of times, you know, there, there's tons of people I really want to cast for books, but it's just a matter of the book, right book hasn't come up yet. Mm -hmm. You know, the right opportunity, but it might be next week. It might be next year, but you know, Definitely um, not a bad idea to just to be friendly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Always a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I heard, uh, I heard Deborah recently, I don't remember which podcast it was on. I think it may have been, um, the audiobook roundtable that Paul Stefano and Sean Daly did on, on, uh, the VO meter. Um, but at some point I heard her on a podcast recently and she was talking about how many audiobooks Dion has done. It's, it's a huge number. I think it was up in the tens of thousands or something like that and how difficult it was when she and her, um, husband at the time started, um, started the company and how it took a while for that to take off. But of course now we all know that audiobooks are huge, biggest segment and biggest, um, uh, biggest increase in sales over the past, I don't know, several years. So, uh, how does, I don't know how much information you have about stuff like that, but uh, does it seem like Dion is going just as strong as they had been and, uh, there's no sign of slowing down? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I was fortunate, um, when I started working with the, the company, uh, Deborah's husband at the time, Bob, uh, was still alive and he was a really awesome guy. So I got to, he actually is the one who, um, trained me to be a director. And so, uh, wow, that must've been great. That, that must've been, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but that must've been great. I, I have seen a couple of videos of him and I just think this is a guy who gets it. And, um, that must've been great to, uh, to have him for a mentor. Oh yeah. Uh, Bob, just one of the greatest guys, <laughs> uh, in the industry and uh, such a shame that, that he's still not with us. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, you know, uh, back then, you know, as I said, when I first joined the company, um, was really when I feel like the industry was really taking off, but, um, I would hear stories from Bob about, uh, how he and Deb started the company recording people in their closet and pushing aside the clothes <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, crazy enough, like he would tell me that like at one point they still had to, you know, they were recording to tape. So editing an audio book, you know, you're using a razor blade. Mm -hmm. 
And I just thinking about that in today, the workflow we use today is just kind of insane. Yeah. I feel like back at that time, you could only work with like the highest quality of narrators who just never make misreads or mistakes of like that because you simply can't do that much editing when you're using a razor blade to tape. Yeah, whereas now it's so different with the uh, mm. with the software being able to just go click click click. Okay, we're going again. Yeah, saying I'll just drop some room tone over that and we're all good. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but um, yeah. You know, I, I guess I can't speak to how many books were being produced in the, the very earliest years of the company. We've been around for, I believe, 27 years now. Um, <clears throat> and so I do know that in that time, I think the number is, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say we're around 15,000 audiobooks. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that sounds like, like what Deborah was talking about. Yeah, I think that's, you know, entirely possible. And uh, certainly... Uh, I would love to actually do an accounting of this. We don't have a record of the total number in a specific year, but it's close to, I don't know, in a really busy year, probably a thousand or more, mm -hmm. uh, a couple hundred for sure, um, depending on the year. But uh, I don't know. it's fascinating. I, I wish <laughs> one of the biggest problems is like, I see so many interesting books come through. I'm like, oh, I want to read that. I want to read that. So it gets added to my reading list. But they never, then there's so many that I never get to actually read any. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people who like reading feel that way. So with nine studios on site uh, at, at Dion in LA, do you guys do anything besides audiobooks? Uh, we do other voiceover work, um, really of any kind. Um, we are actually... We're, you know, speaking of the company growing, we're really trying to expand our um, foreign language capabilities. Uh -huh. uh, our um, our senior en uh, engineer, mastering engineer, awesome guy, Jorge Reyes, uh, works for Dion Audio. He's been sort of heading up our push into the Spanish industry for the last, I want to say almost 10 years. So don't quote me on that. Um, but we've made really awesome strides in that regard, and we've got things, um, we get to do a lot of really awesome Spanish versions of books and things like that. And recently, we're trying to um, expand our abilities to produce books in German, uh, Portuguese, and French, I believe. Uh, as, I mean, I don't know, <clears throat> I'm not an expert on this part of it, but obviously, worldwide English audiobooks are kind of the biggest market and, and have been for a while. Mm -hmm. But in the last year or two, <clears throat> because uh, the technology has gotten to the point where it's so easy to, for people to have access to this type of thing, sure. um, the global markets have really started to grow. And, you know, obviously, if we can produce high quality products for these markets, that'll just help them grow even more. So that's yeah. kind of how I think get, about it. Get in on the ground floor. Mm hmm. And, you know, so to get back to the question, then, like, we've done sort of like various VO work. We'll do commercials every now and then. Um, occasionally I've done like a video game. But um, we also do like learning language programs, uh, sort of helping people learn foreign languages, reading phrases, mm -hmm. things like that. And um, like I said, now we're sort of venturing into full on full books and foreign languages. No. That's great. So um, everybody always wants to know the bad along with the good. So you have any uh, casting horror stories? <laughs> um, let's see. No <laughs> names. No names. No names. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess with casting, nothing can go too wrong. But some bad things that have happened, obviously, the worst thing that you can do <laughs> once getting cast for a book is to not do what you said you were going to do, you know, <laughs> uh, on a small scale, it might be something like we send an offer or an, uh, for an audition. We tell you how much it's going to pay. And then you come back once you've been cast saying that you need more money. That obviously doesn't uh, look good for anybody. No. Um, you know, <clears throat> and then it kind of puts us in a position because, uh, you've already been chosen, but the, you know, the amount of money hasn't been approved and, and no one ever likes to get in an argument over money for an artistic endeavor like this. Right. But um, more generally, uh, this only happened maybe once or twice, 
but um, you know, being cast for a book, saying that you can do it in a, a given amount of time, and then just not being able to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Dion Audio specifically, the deadlines we set, uh, the parameters that are set for a project are always, well, pretty much almost always, given to us by our clients. You know, the publishers, um, in cases of someone like Harper, Scholastic, Recorded Books. Um, but also the authors for when we're producing an independent project. And there's all sorts of variables that go into when they determine they need to have the final files by based on promotional schedules or when a book is going to go on sale, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so sometimes I don't know where people get the idea that our due dates are just sort of suggestions. Oh, my. <laughs> They are definitely not suggestions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you got sick or some emergency happened, we understand. And, you know, an extent, you know, needing an extension every here and there for a reasonable reason, we can work with that. But when it's just like, oh, I just didn't do it, I don't <laughs> understand how anyone could do that. <laughs> wow. No, that's uh, that's hard for me to imagine. I And I've heard this before as well. At, at APAC, there was a panel discussion. Uh, where they were talking from, uh, I think there was somebody from Brilliance, um, Cantor, I uh, can't remember the third one right now, but I, I think that across the board, all of the panelists said, the worst thing that you can do is commit to something and then not let us know if you're not going to be able to make the deadline. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. Because <laughs> like you said, there are going to be things that come up, whether it's illness or family problems or whatever it is, something's going to come up. And as long as you let people know, as soon as you know that there might be a problem, then they're going to work with you and they're not going to think badly of you. But if all of a sudden the deadline gets there because you thought to yourself, oh, no, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And then you don't do it. Nobody's happy. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the if I had to pick one horror story... Um, uh, there's a book we were working on and, um, it was with a narrator. I believe it was a first time narrator and, uh, they were recording from home because that, that was the parameters for the project. Um, we had sort of coached them and we had talked them through everything. Uh, they felt confident. We sort of listened to their first, uh, hour or two of a recording, gave them feedback based on that. And they said, oh, you know, great, you know, I get it, we'll, uh, I'll keep improving, it'll be fine, uh, you know, continues along, the audio's sort of getting better, but then at a certain, um, at a, you know, at one point in the process, about a week or two before the book was due, the person got called away to work on another project and just had to quit the book in the middle of it. <laughs> and honestly, this is probably the only time I've ever seen that happen. And that was a nightmare on our end because, you know, the book was already half recorded, half edited, but now it had to be entirely recast and started over. Sure. And we were now like just a week or two out from the deadline. Client wasn't happy. Author wasn't happy. Uh, it was just a bad situation and <laughs> definitely not the type of thing that's going to get you a gold star in our memory. No doubt. Yeah, I just... I. Can't imagine. Uh, was the other project that they got called away on another audiobook? Um, no, it was a um, it was a larger, I believe, a, uh, perhaps a TV show or a movie. Oh, you know, I, I, I get where they were coming from. It was not necessarily something I would have sacrificed to finish an audiobook either. But at the same time, had they been honest with us from the get go, exactly, about the yeah. Progress, yeah, the progress they were making and things of that nature, we could have arranged either for some way to help them get it done quicker. Or, you know, just not have started it with them in the first place. Yeah, definitely an unfortunate situation. Mm -hmm. That's It's great, though, that you can say that that's probably the only time that's happened. Yeah, no, I mean, we uh, we keep, well, obviously, you know, 99% of the time a narrator is thrilled to be narrating a book. Yeah. And uh, why, why would they want anything to go wrong? Right. Uh, so that's fortunate and, you know. Most of the time we don't have issues once a book has gotten started. Um, but, you know, just even little things like being difficult to schedule, like constantly changing your schedule on us or um, being late to your sessions. Basic things like that are never good. Yeah. Well, cool. So are you still doing mastering or are you just on uh, uh, focusing on casting now? 
No, I still do mastering. Um, you know, I have some friends who are narrators and, you know, I, I narrate or I'll master their work for them, sort of freelance personal deal type of thing. Oh, uh, I see. So you do, so you do mastering on the side as well as through Dion. Um, occasionally. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we have a, at Dion audio, we, we obviously have a great mastering team. So I'm usually only asked to help if there's some sort of emergency or overflow or we're just super busy. Mm-hmm. Um, our mastering team is awesome. So there's no reason for me to jump in, but like I said, I have friends who, who find work on ACX and things like that. And so I'll master work for them. Uh, that's, I'm sure that that's great for Deborah though. And, and, um, everybody at Dion to know that you may be doing a different function now, but you've done this other thing in the past. And if all of a sudden three people who work in your great mastering department are unavailable for a couple of days, cause everybody gets sick or whatever it is, they've got you as a resource. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dion Audio, it, it, that's probably one of our, I would say, one of our greatest strengths is our, our core engineering team. Um, you know, one, we've all been working with the company for, I want to say, five to ten years uh, each. And in that time have, like me, done a lot of different roles within the company. So <clears throat> I think it is important, um, especially if you're producing audiobooks, to understand the process from the time you get a script to the time you're delivering final masters. Yeah, that always helps. Yeah, Without that experience of having done it yourself, it sometimes doesn't make sense why something is such a big deal to someone later on or why it's so difficult to fix mm-hmm. or things like that. So on, honestly, like that's hugely beneficial to have a team that um, has worked at various stages of the process and just sort of understand each one. And having, uh, and having been in this business for as long as they have, uh, and having seen the business change so drastically from, uh, you know, over 20 years ago to what it is now, it's just, uh, completely different. It's, I'm, I'm sure that having that kind of a team, um, uh, really makes things run smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we joke, <laughs> Things can always run smoother. I, 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 like to, <laughs> I like to tell people I think we've discovered every single possible way a production can go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, by trying, but it just sort of happened that way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just so many details. There's just no way to predict sometimes what might happen. Um, and certain books, some books, you know, they take place in a fantasy land with all fantasy characters that speak like a fantasy language. And then we got to figure out how to pronounce all of that stuff properly into the author's liking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like the, the amount of things that, you know, one, one moment I might be researching actors who can do a certain accent. The next moment I might be researching like geographical regions in another country and what languages they speak there, because that's where a certain thing is taking place. Or else I need to be looking up speci- uh, technical specifications for a certain client. So the, the array of types of information or knowledge that I come across in a certain, any given day is, is very wide. Yeah. And I kind of enjoy yeah. that. Yeah. No doubt. I'm, I'm sure it keeps it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, anything else you want to add about uh, your, your work there at Dion? Um. I recommend uh, anyone listening to this um, contact us if you have any questions about making an audiobook or how to make an audiobook. Not only do we have like audiobook production services, but we have classes. We have people who can help with home studios, helping improving your sound. Um, and I, I don't know, <laughs> I work remotely, but I try and come to like, <clears throat> mixers, APA mixers in LA or, mm-hmm. or events like that. And honestly, one of my favorite things is getting to actually meet and interact with the people who I just listen to all day. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can see that when I went to APAC this past year, uh, I loved it. I, I knew a lot of people from online, but to actually get to interact in person, it's always better. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't feel like it's such a crazy person because I, I know what a lot of actors look like based on their headshot and I've read their bio. So I meet them in person and they think I'm some crazy lunatic because like I, I know so much about them <laughs> <laughs> until they find out who I am and why. Right. But, uh, um, <laughs> it's always a fun, fun to, to just meet people. Well, like it's that. nice to know that we're being stalked by cast directors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah nope. 
know all about you. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, I hope that the next time I get out to LA, I can actually pop in and uh, and see Deborah. It was great talking to her at APAC, and it just sounds like you guys have a great team there. Yeah, the staff at Dion Audio is all great people. Uh, I love working with them. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Philip. I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, sure, love, yeah. Love where sharing where can this. people find you? Um, you can, uh, professionally, you can contact me, philip with one L at dionaudio.com. Uh, I also have a personal website um, for, uh, if you happen to want to listen to any music or read any article, blog post, socraticengineering.com. Um, based going back to my love of the Greeks. And is there any pirate paraphernalia on that website? You know, it is sadly lacking in pirate <laughs> paraphernalia. Now. <laughs> but now that you mention it, I might need to get on that. <laughs> there you go. Get to work on that. <laughs> I got a studio you can use if you need it. Ah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Philip. It was great talking to you. Uh, great talking to you too. Well, that's it from the Speakeasy tonight. Many thanks to Philip Miller for stopping by, and I hope you'll be able to join me next week when I'll be sharing a drink with world-famous narrator and voiceover coach, Carol Monda. You can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. As of right now, I don't have any sponsors for the podcast, and I don't have any plans to go out looking for any. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. Until we see you here at the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find the time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Bye.